0: himself to be faithful in the good times and in the bad times in victory and in challenge when it seemed as though I was going to be defeated he was still faithful and he never left my side and he worked all things together for the good even when it wasn't good in the moment when I look back I see that he was working it for my good. I believe he deserves a great hand clap of praise in this place tonight. Hallelujah. God bless you. You can be seated. We're so happy to have each and every one of you here this Wednesday night for our Bible study. Looking forward to this weekend, we begin our Real Change series this Sunday. Pastor Landtroop begins our Real Change <laughs> series this Sunday. Looking forward to that. This is a three-week series that is life-changing if you allow it to be. If you lay hold of the truths that Pastor Landtroop will be bringing to our attention, then you can discover how to truly create real and lasting change in your life. Tonight, we're going to be uh, talking about the disciples' diet. They're passing out handouts. Next Wednesday night, we'll begin a three-week series on Wednesday night on financial freedom. So you don't want to miss that. Tonight, we're going to read three passages of Scripture. They're relatively brief. You can remain seating. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 is our first passage. Reading from the King James Version. Peter writes, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, That ye may grow thereby. Desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 1 and 2 in the New Living Translation. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready. Now, you'll notice there's a little typo on your handout there in that verse. If you're paying attention, if you're reading along, we make mistakes. It should say as though you were infants in Christ. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 through 14 in the New Living Translation Says you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. We're talking tonight about the disciples' diet. If I intend to truly be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, then I intend to mature. I don't intend to remain a baby, just born again. That's great. We love the born-again experience. But after you've been born again, you're just a baby. And yes, you need the milk of the word of God. It's so important for your growth, those basic things. But may it not be said of us five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, that we still need somebody to teach us those basic things over and over again. Because we never grew up. We never got past that. The word mature comes from the same root word as the word ripe. It indicates something that has been completed or fully developed. In Scripture, it is the same word that Jesus used when he cried, It is finished on the cross. Now that's a sermon in itself. The same word, it is finished, is the word used to talk about spiritual maturity. So what are some things that we know about spiritual maturity or what are some things we ought to know about spiritual maturity? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. First of all, it is not, in your blanks, automatic. Some folks think that if they come to church on Sunday morning after they've been born again, then this maturity thing will just automatically take place by... Being in the same room as mature Christians, but through osmosis, they'll somehow mature themselves, but that's not how this works. It's not automatic. John chapter 8, verse 31 in the New Living Translation, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings you remain faithful 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 17 through chapter 7 verse 1 in the new living translation says therefore come out from unbelievers and separate yourselves from them says the lord do not touch their filthy things and i will welcome you and i will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters says the lord almighty Because we have these promises, what promises? That if I come out from among them, I don't touch their filthy things, that God will welcome me, I'll be his son, or if you're a lady, his daughter. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God or we revere God. We have a holy respect an admiration for God. Again, in both of these passages of Scripture, there is a responsibility that falls on our shoulder to remain faithful and to separate ourselves, to cleanse ourselves from anything that can defile our body or spirit. Because maturity, spiritual maturity, uh, what we talk about here as holiness, the process of sanctification, is not automatic. It takes some effort. The second thing we need to know about spiritual maturity is that it is a process. In your blanks, it is a process. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 5, in the transparent English version, also called today's English version, it says, Learn to be mature. It doesn't say no to be mature it says learn to be mature second peter chapter 3 verse 18 same translation the transparent english version but continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ again to learn something is a process of time you want to learn any skill you don't get it in five seconds if it's a skill worth having you know there's a, there's a few things you might pick up in five seconds but that wasn't a skill worth having You know what your toddler does when they pick their nose? That's not a skill worth having. You might learn that quick. Nothing to brag about. But if you're going to learn a skill that's worthwhile, that is something you can use for the benefit and the value of your family or the marketplace, your job, any true skill, any true development takes time. Whether You're an engineer, an architect, a doctor, a lawyer, a construction worker. doesn't matter if you're a framer, a a drywall guy, a painter. You don't learn that in just a few seconds. You may learn a technique in a few minutes of someone showing you, but you've got to practice that before you get any good at it. And so it's a process. The same is true in your walk with God, to mature to develop some spiritual maturity to increase your knowledge and understanding of who God is, what the body of Christ is, what your life is desired by God to look like, what he intends for your life to look like, that's a process. It's not automatic. It's also not instantaneous. And so just because you're in the process and maybe you still make some mistakes or you feel like, man, I just don't think I'm ever going to get have enough time to learn everything that's in the word of god well you're probably right i don't know if any of us are ever going to really get all the truths that are housed in the word of god but that doesn't mean we don't keep looking we don't keep searching we don't keep learning it's a process and until he calls me home through death or rapture i'm supposed to continue to learn and continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ The third thing you have to come to grips with about spiritual maturity is that it takes discipline. Because anything that's not automatic and anything that's not instantaneous takes discipline. 1 Timothy chapter 4, the latter portion of verse 7 in the J.B. Phillips New Testament says, Take time and trouble. To keep yourself spiritually fit. Time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. In other words, it's probably not going to be easy every day. There's gonna be days you don't feel like reading your Bible. You got so many other things on the to do list, you don't know, you're busier than a one legged man in a butt kicking contest. And you don't have a clue how you're gonna get it all done. And you think, man, I just, I can't do it today. It takes discipline. Before you ever get your first cup of coffee down, the phone's ringing. Fires going on everywhere in your job. You know, 10 customers calling back to back. Problems, problems, problems. You're just like, man, not today. I can't read my Bible. You better read your Bible today. You better put them on pause. I'm going to take care of that for you. And you get yourself back in the word of God. Use some discipline there to help you through putting out those fires. But it's going to take discipline because you're not always going to feel like it. The New American Standard Version reads that same verse. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It's interesting, being a parent, I don't know how your kids were, my kids were all different. They all presented their own unique challenges, their own unique personalities, their own individual quirks, but as a parent, it's your responsibility to bring some discipline into your, life, your kid's life. It's your responsibility to provide structure. It's your responsibility to provide correction, to provide instruction. But when you become an adult, when you, when, when you mature from being a kid to being an adult, then somewhere in that journey, you've got to learn to discipline yourself. You can't just always be looking outside of you for somebody to provide your structure. You can't always be looking outside of you for somebody to provide your correction and your instruction. At some point... We have to learn to discipline ourselves. Amen? Mature believers in the Bible are called disciples. In your blanks, disciples. It's an interesting choice, isn't it? Now, we read in the New Testament where the multitudes that followed Jesus, they were called his followers, right? Many followed him. There were many followers there. But to be a disciple, that's different. You can follow Jesus and not be a disciple. You can be a believer and not be a disciple. Hello? Oh, you can believe in Jesus. You can believe the word of God is the inerrant, true uh, word of God that's spoken and breathed by God on holy men, and they wrote, and that every word is accurate and purposeful, you can believe that and not be a disciple. You can be born again of water and of spirit and not be a disciple. But mature believers in Scripture are called disciples. Well, I can't be a disciple without being disciplined. And so if I go Monday through Saturday living an undisciplined life and then come in here on Sunday, I don't care if you shout the chandeliers down. You're not a disciple. Because there's no discipline in your life. There's no effort being made. There's no time being put in to growing and learning throughout the week. And... We don't really see it a lot in our congregation, but lots of Pentecostal churches see it where they love the worship, they love the atmosphere on a Sunday morning, and they'll come and they'll just enjoy service, but they never become a disciple. But Jesus didn't tell us to go give birth to a bunch of newborn babies. He said, go make disciples unto me, right? And so if we're not making disciples and we're not becoming disciples, then we're missing the mark. Just as physical fitness is not automatic or instantaneous, neither is spiritual fitness. Both take hard work. They take discipline. Financial freedom doesn't come to undisciplined people. I know I'm jumping ahead a week. I'm not going to go far, but just a little preview there. You'll never experience financial freedom or abundance if you're undisciplined in your finances. It takes work. It's not automatic. It's not instantaneous. The mark of a true disciple is bearing my cross. Bearing my cross. Which means denying my own desires in order to put God first in my life every single day. Denying my own desires, my own ambitions even. I'm not talking about my own sins. That should be a given, right? Forsake sin, but I have to put my own desires on the back burner. I have to put aside my own selfish ambitions in order to put God first in my life every single day. So that could be a career ambition, that could be a financial ambition that needs to take a back seat. And I'm not saying any of those are wrong, but priority matters. And if God's not first, He doesn't come in second to any. So if you don't have God as first priority in your life, you don't have God in your life. He's Lord of all or not Lord at all. Now, you can call him Savior. You can call him healer. You can call him provider. But you can't call him Lord unless he's got first priority in your life. Every single day, unless you are disciplining yourself to deny your own desires in order to put him first. Luke chapter 14, verse 27 in the New International Version says, And whoever, Jesus speaking, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. If you only or you think you're living for God and you think you're doing well and you think you're a disciple and you never tell yourself no, Jesus says you're lying to yourself because unless you deny yourself, you can't be my disciple. Somewhere along the way, you have to be doing some self-denial. And that's why we still, in 2024, teach fasting as an important Christian discipline. Because maybe there's not a lot of areas in your life where you're seeing, now that you've been delivered from addictions of the past, now that you've moved beyond the power that sin held over your life, and maybe you're not seeing a lot of opportunities to deny yourself. Well, fasting's one. When when the belly's growling and the, the mouth is salivating, desiring to eat some of what you're smelling coming from the kitchen, but you say, no, not today because I'm fasting I'm consecrating myself to God today. I'm putting my desires on the back burner to show him that he's the most important. If you can't do that from time to time, you're not a disciple. Luke 9.23, New International Version. Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. It's not a a nice add-on. Just like we, we teach water baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, not a nice add-on. It's absolutely necessary. Absolutely essential. When, when the, on the day of Pentecost, when the disciples, the apostles were first asked, Hey, okay, you preached Jesus to me. You, you just told me that we've crucified the Messiah. I believe that what you're saying is true. I'm feeling something. I'm feeling drawn right now. I'm feeling pricked in my heart. So what must I do now to be saved? He didn't say, repent, and if you'd like to, you could get baptized. And uh, if you really want a nice bonus, you could get the Holy Ghost. That would be a real nice bonus add-on. It's not what Peter said. He very strictly commanded, repent and be baptized, right? And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so it's it's not just a nice add-on. To add on, well, if you'd like to deny yourself, you know, you could. No, he says, if you don't, you're not my disciple. Growing old without growing up is a tragedy. And this makes perfect sense to us when we look at it just in life in general, right? If you, uh, and your spouse, you have a baby, whether it's a son or a daughter, it's perfectly natural that that baby should desire only milk for a while. Like, as soon as it comes out, as soon as you take it home from the hospital, you're not cutting up ribeye and shoving it down its gullet. I mean, you're not even crushing up some some good old corn flakes and putting it in there, like, Right? Only milk for a while. That's natural. And so when people are first born again and they're babes in Christ, it's perfectly natural for them to get milk from the Word of God. It's perfectly natural for those basic things to be the things they're focusing on. Really getting a good grip about who God is and who God says they are. And really getting a strong understanding for themselves of that new birth that they just experienced and and the scriptures that teach it and what it really means for them. That's perfectly natural. We should expect that newborn baby that only desires milk to be limited in their ability and deficient in their maturity. We don't expect that newborn baby to jump up out of the, the bassinet and run into the kitchen and cook dinner. We understand there's going to be limits to their ability. They're going to be deficient in maturity. But if those things uh, are still happening years later, if they're still just laying there in the bassinet waiting to be fed a bottle of milk at three years old, four years old, that's a serious problem, right? We all agree with that. Well, as that applies in the physical realm, it also applies in the spiritual realm someone who was born again three, four years ago, if all they want is the fluff of the milk, that light, easy to digest, easy to swallow stuff, then there's a serious problem here because they're not maturing. They're not growing up as they grow older. There is a time in every Christian life when we must graduate from milk to meat, or solid food. It's at this stage when we are in that process of graduating from milk to meat, it's in that time that we become more than just believers and we take on the responsibility personally of becoming mature disciples. Anything that refuses to grow and change will eventually die. We know this. and In fact, a clinical definition of death is a body that does not change. If you are not moving forward in your Christian life, you are backsliding. There's either forward progress or there's backward digression. There are no options when it comes to discipleship. Again, it's not a nice add-on to become a disciple. It's the natural process of things. It's the natural progress that we should experience. It's to mature and to grow from just that easy to digest milk to some more solid foods, more challenging truths. So what does it mean uh, when the Bible makes this comparison between milk and meat? In other words, what are the characteristics of mature Christians as taught in scriptures? So in your handouts there you have this chart. On the left side is a column labeled milk. On the right side is a column labeled meat. We're going to go through this and kind of compare the two. Milk is given to the child by the mother. Spiritually speaking, that's the church. That's okay. You come to Wednesday night Bible study, you come to Sunday morning service, and you get to hear sermons and lessons being taught. You're being fed milk. It's provided by the mother. Meat is hunted and prepared by oneself. In other words, you put in some effort to get meat. Milk is a comfort food. Milk's all about my needs. You know, you hear this sometimes with immature Christians when they bounce from one, one church in town to the next and they say, yeah, I just wasn't getting anything there. <laughs> uh, I just, I don't know, just, just wasn't getting, didn't feel like I was getting anything. Didn't feel like I was growing there. Right. Baby. Wee. Wee. That milk tasted the same as the milk at the other place. I didn't really get much out of it. However, meat, meat is a strength food. That's not a comfort food. That's a a food that gives strength. It's it's what gives us the strength to not say, well, what about my needs? But rather to say, how can I help? Who can I help? What could I do? Milk is a pre-digested food. Uh, in, In the scripture, Moses is an example. He was the voice of God to Aaron. Everything Aaron heard from God came through Moses, pre-digested. Meat must be digested, so it takes more work by the individual. The body has to do more to digest meat than it does milk. Milk builds up the bones, and bones are important. Bones are crucial for a solid foundation, right? Without strong bones, you don't have a solid foundation for life. It's the very framework of our spiritual life. So milk builds up those bones, that framework. But meat builds up the muscles. The muscles are like the activity of the spiritual life. So milk is the foundation, but it's it's the meat that is what you use that gives you the strength to do the work that God has called us to do. And we're all called unto good works. We're not saved by works. That's a a whole other thing. But we are saved to works. We're Faith without works is dead. And so if you're going to be able to do the works of a spiritual life, then you need some meat to build up the muscles. I mean, if if you see someone who doesn't have much muscle on their body, they're not very strong. You can't expect a whole lot from that person when it comes to, to working. You need a hand moving some furniture, don't call that guy. You're in a tight spot, you got some, some guys trying to start some trouble, don't call on that guy. Somebody's getting rowdy out in the foyer, don't call that guy. But if you find somebody with a whole lot of muscle, but they got weak bones, that's not a whole lot better. They might look good and strong. They go to pick something up, the bone inside might fracture. Might end up with a compound fracture. I'm trying to help you move some furniture. So you need strong bones and strong muscles. So you need milk and you need meat. Milk in Scripture is the truth of what Jesus did to purchase our salvation. Meat in Scripture is the truth of what Jesus is doing in our lives in the present that process of sanctification or helping us mature, helping us to set ourselves apart unto him and unto his service. Milk is found in the Gospels and Acts. That's what Jesus did. Meat is found in the epistles. You know when Paul's writing some letters of correction to the churches. When John is writing some letters to the seven churches saying you need to straighten some things up. I appreciate you're still holding on to this, but there's some areas you got to improve. But it's important that we recognize these differences. It's also important that we don't throw out the milk once we start eating meat. You still need the milk. You still need those strong bones. Milk also can enhance the meal, right? It can can give you a little something to wash that tough meat down with sometimes. (laughs) We don't want you out there choking on on some of the meat that comes across. we got to pour a little milk with it help you wash it down with milk nothing has to die to produce milk you get milk from living animals right a living being something has to die to put meat on the table it's the uh old old story of the farmers uh livestock out in the yard just bragging about how they all contributed to the farmers breakfast and trying to compare themselves about who gave the most? And Cal's like, yeah, man, I, I really contributed big. I gave him a big old jar of milk for the whole family. He made some butter. He made some cheese with it, man. It's, it was awesome. I, I gave a lot. And the chicken's like, yeah, that's great. But, man, I, I put a bunch of eggs on that plate, man. What good is that milk if he ain't got something to eat with it? I gave him some eggs. It wasn't but a few minutes they started looking around. Wait a minute. Where's the pig? Oh, that sausage on the plate. <laughs> oh, that's a whole nother. Whoa, I'll I keep giving some eggs. Yes, you can have some eggs for breakfast. So don't come looking for a chicken leg on, on the breakfast table, all right? But something has to die to produce meat. And the real mark of a carnal or worldly Christian is they will not permit their old man to die. They won't permit themselves to kill off parts of them that. God's trying to root out. The things that are keeping them from producing fruit of the spirit. Things that are keeping them from being fruitful as a believer. And again, it's not always sinful things that he's asking us to maybe get rid of and push aside. Sometimes it's not a heaven or hell issue, but it's okay, God, if that's what you're asking of me. Maybe it doesn't have anything to do with anyone else. It's a personal conviction. That's a real thing. Thank God for Bible standards. Thank God for church standards. But you want to know if you're maturing? What do you have that you're not seeing anybody else do? That God's just called to you. And you said, okay, I'm willing to give this to show you how how committed I am, how dedicated I am. Contrary to what a lot of people think, discipleship is not legalism. So yes, there are things that may need to die, and there are some things, uh, there are times that we have to deny ourselves, but discipleship is not legalism. We're not trying to earn anything from God by being disciplined. And this is a, a big, huge point of contention, and even a matter of confusion with some modern uh, Christian faiths. They think that when we talk about the works that uh, God is asking of us, and we talk about these, uh, you know, having proof of our faith by doing works that we think we're somehow earning our salvation, but that's not what we're talking about. Uh, Too often when we say work out your own salvation, people here work for your salvation. Those are two entirely different statements, two entirely different concepts. Um, The problem is that we are attempting uh, to contrast grace with effort. We say, I live under grace, so I don't need to make an effort. All that lifestyle stuff is just legalism. But grace and effort are not opposites. Grace and earning are opposites. Working for your salvation, thinking you're going to merit it, that you're going to earn it, is heresy. There's no Bible for that. But working out your salvation is basic Christianity. That's biblical. That's effort, not earning. If you think that you'll uh, automatically, through osmosis, become a disciple without effort, you're fooling yourself. If you think you will instantaneously become a disciple because you walked down to the altar and repented, you're fooling yourself. That's not how it works. It's a process. It's not automatic. It takes discipline. It takes effort. And not just effort once, not just effort on Sunday, effort every single day. Too many folks get discouraged because when they uh, first become a a born-again believer, they think that it somehow was an easy button. We blame it on Staples, man. They came out with that easy button and people thought it was real. But people think, man, well, if if I go down there and repent, life will get easy. Man, I'll just, I'll be this godly man or this godly woman and People will just look like, wow, I wish I had what they had. And that only happens when you've put in some effort, and some disciplined effort, some consistent effort, effort over time. And that's ultimately, I mean, Jesus said, he that endureth to the end, the same will be saved, right? Endure don't sound like an easy stroll in the park. Endure sounds like, man, that was grueling. Like, I wanted to quit so many times. And I'm not trying to paint a picture that it's all depressing and, <laughs> and sad. No, it's the best life there is. But it does take effort. Life's still going to happen. There's still going to be tragedy. There's still going to be heartache. There's still going to be disappointment. There's still going to be pain in this life. But there's not anything that we're going to face that could merit throwing in the towel. When we consider the reward if we don't. The reward that if we endure. Man, if I just keep making the effort. Just one foot in front of the other. Maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not the fastest runner in the race. Maybe I'm not sprinting the whole time. Maybe, maybe I'm not that guy with the sub four minute mile. Maybe it takes me 20 minutes to get a mile. But as long as I'm putting one foot in front of the other. Just keep on keeping on. Keep on moving, keep on making progress, keep on reading, keep on praying, keep on fasting, right? As long as I can continue to discipline myself to make the effort, man, it's going to be worth it all. It's going to be worth every long mile, every heartache, every trial. There are... Several New Testament scriptures that tell us that because God has already given us all things, we therefore must make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Romans 14 and 19. Because God has already given us all things, we therefore must make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Luke 13 24. Because God has already made and given all things to us, we therefore must make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Ephesians 4 and 3. Because God has already given us all things, made all things available to us, we therefore must make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy. Hebrews 12, 14. We must make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with God. 2 Peter 3.14 We must make every effort to enter into his rest. Now that's a unique concept, is not it? Make every effort to enter into his rest. In other words, work to enter into his rest. Strive for it, man. Put in your best effort so that you can get to that place where you find rest in him. Hebrews 4.11 And then one final passage 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-10 through 10 in the New International Version. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us very great and precious promises. Anybody a, a recipient of some great and precious promises? So that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason. Why? Because he's made this available to you. Because he's given you all things. Because he's given you very great and precious promises. Because he's allowed you to participate in the divine nature. Because he's allowed you to escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add your faith to your faith goodness. Make every effort to add to your goodness, knowledge. Make every effort to add to your knowledge, self-control. Make every effort to add to your self-control, perseverance. Make every effort to add to your perseverance, godliness. Make every effort to add to your godliness, mutual affection or brotherly kindness. Make every effort to add to your mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities... In increasing measure... oh, that's, that's important. Don't just get a little and get satisfied. In increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election... For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Now, there's some strong words in there. He said, if if you don't continue to increase the measure of these, if you don't continue adding to your faith, goodness, to your goodness, knowledge, if you don't continue increasing those measures, you're forgetting that you've been cleansed from your past sins. I don't know about y'all, but that... I felt like somebody stepped on my toes. That kind of hurts a little bit. Think about, man, I could, after being born again, though I'm not indulging in sinful behavior, if I just neglect to mature, I'm forgetting that he cleansed me from my past sins. But if I continue to increase in those, then I'll never stumble. Meaning, Hey, doesn't matter what obstacle pops up, it's not going to knock you out of the race. Doesn't matter what hardship comes, no matter what uh, difficulties you face, it's not going to knock you out of the race. You're going to finish, you're going to cross the finish line. You'll never stumble, you'll never fail. And that's a beautiful promise. Wilbur Reese, who was a pastor for many years and also a professor, wrote this uh, in a collection of poems titled, Three Dollars Worth of God. He wrote, I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. As he writes this, he's trying to summarize the attitude of most Christians of his day. I'd like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a warm cup of milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, Not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. May that never be said of you. May that never be said of me. May it never be true that I just want enough of God to appease my conscience. To to pat myself on the back for going to church on Sunday, but really making no effort to change on Monday. Would you stand with me tonight? Would you lift up your voice and pray with me? Let's ask God to help us to participate, right? To partake of this disciples' diet of putting in effort, making the effort to grow and to increase in our knowledge and understanding. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the challenge that it issued to us to make sure that we're constantly consistently disciplining ourselves and seeking to increase our spiritual maturity to continue to grow in christ to continue to become more and more like you to allow you to change us as the word says from glory to glory by your spirit lord we don't want to be the same tomorrow as we were today we want to be better we want to reflect you more we want to appear to be more like you. We want our attitudes to be more like your attitude. We want our speech to be more like your speech. We want our interactions with other people to be more like the interactions we read about when you were speaking with people, when you were touching people's lives, when you were ministering to people, and you were healing, and you were feeding, and you were caring, and you were weeping when they were hurting. Lord, help us to be like you. Help us to truly earn the right to be called your disciples in jesus name amen god bless you Witness everywhere you go